Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Bite Size Nutrition Podcast. I'm Jillian, and I hope that you got a chance to listen to last week's episode. It was an episode that was really interesting for me to write and really interesting for me to record. And I think that, you know, if you haven't listened to it, it is basically helping you dig into the reasons behind wanting to lose body fat. And I really hope that if you listen, that it didn't come off as me trying to convince you that you should not try to lose body fat, because I think that that is 100% your choice. And you are an autonomous, amazing, uh, incredible human being that can make those choices for yourself. That episode was truly just meant to help illustrate that sometimes we create reasons for wanting to change our bodies that actually can be resolved with changing other things in our lives. And that we've been sort of told or sold this idea that fat loss or, or having a smaller body is going to automatically make our lives better. And that's not really necessarily the case. And so I just wanted to kind of offer uh, another perspective there. And if you got through that episode and you realized, Hey, actually, yeah, fat loss is a goal that I have. I really would like to work on that goal. I would love to offer you a healthier way to do that. And that is a way that doesn't revolve around you giving up foods that you love or doesn't revolve around you creating a bunch of restrictions around things, but a way that actually looks at how can we create better health while also pursuing this goal and understanding that maintenance, which is where we want to be at for most of our lives, like we can't just lose weight for the rest of our lives. It just doesn't work or try to lose weight for the rest of our lives. It's super stressful on our bodies and our minds. And so I wanted to offer you a framework that actually this, this framework, these habits that we're going to talk about today are actually very, very similar. The fat loss habits are very, very similar to what they're going to look like when you're simply just maintaining your body in your life, live in your life, not thinking about fat loss, which is awesome because that means that the transition from fat loss to maintenance isn't going to be this like crazy shift. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're also going to talk about some big mistakes that I see people making in the pursuit of fat loss. Um, but first I want to share a little bit about myself and a little bit about kind of like how my story started. So. I spent over a decade of my life trying to actively change my body. And it started really when I was 21 years old. I, and I think it was 20, actually, now that I think about it, I think it was 20. I was in the most toxic relationship of my life. I was in a relationship with this guy that was a pathological liar. I found out afterwards that he had another girlfriend on the side. He was just all around, not a great guy. And I hadn't realized until I got out of the relationship that I was doing damage to both my body and my mind. Not only was this guy a pathological liar, it was just physically not great. Lots of drinking, lots of cigarette smoking, not great eating, really not good. And the breakup actually shocked me into action. And this is a, not incredibly proud of this because the root of why, what spurred on a lot of the habit changes that I've made was actually through shame because I was re drinking really heavily. I was smoking cigarettes regularly. I hadn't eaten a vegetable maybe ever. And I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast before. When I was five, my dad actually tried to pay me $500 to eat a salad and I just wouldn't do it. And that continued like that hate for vegetables continued until I was about 20, 21 years old. But that kind of breaking point after that breakup 
was the, the sort of catalyst that made me start to change my habits. And as I said, it started from a place of self-loathing and it actually stayed in that place of self-loathing for a long time. Now, fast forward, I'm on the verge of turning 35 years old. I can say that I'm at a place where I'm pretty peaceful with my eating habits, my exercise habits, and my body. But the struggle, like that struggle over that decade was, is part of the reason why I'm so passionate about what I do and how I coach my clients, because I believe that it really shouldn't take us a decade to realize that self-loathing is not a great way to change. And I think the thing is, you may be listening to this and you may be at that point where you've been trying to actively change your body for almost a decade or at least a few years, or maybe even more than that. And so as I mentioned at the beginning, in the last episode, I talked about some of the reasons for, for fat loss. And honestly, I wish my 21-year-old self could have heard that podcast and really could have understood that the reason why she didn't feel confident or the reason why she really struggled with self-esteem wasn't actually because of her body. It was because of the actions that maybe contributed to her body looking a certain way. But I think that I think that probably if I had heard that podcast, I, I would have made the same decision that I did, which was to pursue fat loss. But I think my mindset and my approach to it would have been totally different. And I think it probably wouldn't have taken me 10 years to actually find the place of peace that I'm at now. And so that's what this episode is about. Because if I can save you any amount of time with the struggle that you feel with your body, and if I can help you in any way to move towards, if you do have that goal for fat loss, if I can help you move towards that in a healthier, more balanced way, in a way that doesn't cause you to actually hate yourself more in the process or to just feel like you're constantly struggling and failing, then that honestly is part of the dream and the vision that I have for how I want to change the world, honestly. And I feel like I'm getting sappy, but this stuff is important. And, and so this is the first, if this, if this is the first episode of the bite-sized nutrition podcast that you've listened to, please go back and listen to episode 22. And that is the episode in which I will walk you through how to understand your real reasons for fat loss. And before we jump into some of the, the core habits that I work on with clients and the core habits that I think can be really, really helpful as you move towards this goal in a healthier way, I want to go through some mistakes that I see really, really commonly, especially when women are pursuing fat loss. Men definitely do these too. I tend to work mainly with women, so that's why I say women. So let's start, let's start with one of the mistakes that I think is incredibly common and is really almost promoted in the world of health and fitness, and that is dividing foods into a sort of binary framework, and that is like good or bad foods, healthy and unhealthy foods. Um, and, and I think this creates a very all or nothing mindset. And there's a couple of things here that I want to illustrate to you. And that is, is that there is literally no food that is inherently bad and no food that is inherently good. And you may have heard people say this before and you're like, yeah, but that's bullshit because obviously broccoli is better than donuts. But I want to frame this to you in a way that I think will be really helpful. And the truth is you can just as easily lose fat eating like chocolate or candy every day as you can gain weight eating broccoli. And the way that this works is because one food does not necessarily have an impact. It's the portion sizes that have the impact. 
And so when I say that there is no food that is inherently bad, I'm, I'm not including foods that you're actually like allergic to or foods that do actually cause your specific body harm. I'm talking about foods that, you know, we think, oh my gosh, the second I eat bread, it just goes straight to my hips. Right. And that's not actually the case. Like literally that's not how it works. Biologically, scientifically does not, it's not how it works. But our brains like to be able to decide clearly on what is a yes and what is a no. It makes life easier when we can actually categorize things. But our brains are really rebellious. And so the second you tell yourself you can't have something, it becomes more exciting. And this is like the more restrictions and labels you put on foods or you put on yourself for eating those foods, the more likely you are to want to rebel against those rules and the less you're able to trust yourself and trust is a huge thing here to make decisions that align with what you want long-term. So there's a couple examples here that I think will be really helpful for you to understand this. You can't, for example, let's say you eat a day of meals and you have uh, you know, a little bit of broccoli with your lunch, but then um, you're putting a ton, you know, big, big thing of cheese on top of the broccoli. You're not eating any protein throughout the day. You're sort of like snacking throughout the day. Like that broccoli is not going to help you lose weight just because it's a small portion of an overall unbalanced diet or a small portion of a diet in which you end up overeating really frequently. And the same thing is, is one piece of chocolate is not going to be the reason why you gain weight in an overall balanced diet. It's when the balances are sort of out of whack is when we see the issue. And so you think like, well, if I, um, if I avoid all bad foods, then I'm going to reach my goals. And I think you probably know that that's not true. And you probably know that at this point, just trying to avoid all foods that you consider bad is actually not great for your mental health, but you may not have figured out how to manage this. And we're going to go into that a little bit later. And I also want you to think about this. If you literally just had packets of cookies around all day, every day, I'm saying cookies because people like, people like cookies. I love cookies. And you had no restrictions around those cookies. Yes, you might eat a lot of cookies on day one, on day two, on day three. But sooner than you actually think, you would just naturally start eating less cookies. And it's not because cookies are any less delicious, but it's because when you can have something whenever you want it, and there's no one telling you like, don't do that. You're a lot more likely to check in with yourself and decide whether it aligns with your goals, values, and desires rather than just going for it because it's there. And there are some caveats there. Like if you have a bowl of M&Ms on your desk, you're going to eat more M&Ms than if you have a bowl of M&Ms like hidden in a cupboard somewhere. But I think that it's, I just want to illustrate that no food is inherently good or bad. You can eat M&Ms every day and still reach whatever goals you have. Same as you can eat broccoli every day and not reach your goals. The second mistake that I see people making is attempting to go really quickly or setting unrealistic expectations. And I would really, really, really love to blame the advent of social media for this one. But before and after pictures depicting ridiculous transformations that are just flat out bullshit have been around since the time of mail order catalogs. I can remember seeing mail order catalogs at my house and there's like the photo of the guy that in one photo is like, you know, puffing his stomach out and is like pale. And then the next photo is like three weeks later, he's got abs. And you're like, that's, there's no way that's true. And honestly, they're incredible marketing because even if we know they're not true, they still kind of spark that thought of like, yeah, but what if that could be me? But the reality is, is that 
the leaner you are. So the less body fat you actually have to lose, the slower your progress will be. And even if you do have a lot of body fat to lose, faster progress does not mean it's going to be sustainable over time. And so what this means is that going from 35% body fat to 30% is going to be faster than going from 25 to 20%. But on the, on sort of the other side of that is there's a really unrealistic expectation of how much body fat someone can actually lose in a week or a month. And also an unrealistic expectation of like, Hey, well, if I can lose this in a week or a month, I'm going to be able to, to keep this up for a year. And that's just not true. The faster you go at the outset actually is going to probably correlate to the slower the progress is going to be over time, because we usually end up stopping and starting a lot when expectations are really high or when uh, the program or the, the diet or whatever that is, is really strict. And there may also just be really unrealistic expectations of like, well, this is the amount of body fat I should be losing. And so you get really impatient. You want to see grand results in a short period of time. And that means that you're probably doing a lot of that, like stop, go, stop, go, or getting discouraged, losing motivation. And it ends up leading to this on and off pattern and can actually lead to you gaining more weight over time. And on the mindset side, which we know is so important, it just makes you end up feeling like it's never going to happen for you. And so it, a lot of it is because trying to be in a rush, making really drastic changes without thinking about how sustainable those changes are going to be for you long-term, and then getting frustrated when things don't go as quickly as you want them to, it does lead to that like decades-long process that I've seen. And so to be really realistic, for most women, losing more than a pound of week a week at most that is like on the high end, means that the methods that you're using for weight loss are too drastic, which also means that, that long-term, your results are not going to be sustainable. And so think about it like this. If your methods are not sustainable, if you are doing something that you cannot imagine yourself doing six months from now consistently, the results that you get from whatever it is that you're doing are not going to be sustainable. As I mentioned in the last podcast, we all know someone that has lost a lot of weight in a short period of time. How many people do we know that have kept that weight off? The third big mistake that I see, and I've got two more mistakes, then we'll move on to, to helpful habits, is basing progress only on the scale. And I think that the problem with this is that I, most of us are really misinformed about how fat loss actually works. Fat loss comes down to one very simple rule, but that rule has a lot of nuance to it. That rule is in order to lose body fat, you must consume less energy than you burn per day. That means that you are eating in a calorie deficit, but our bodies are not a math equation. That means that you can technically be in a calorie deficit and be losing body fat, but the scale may not show that. That's why if you are using the scale, I would suggest looking at trends, not one single number, and also consider using other metrics to track progress. This is something that I talk a lot with my clients about, and I, I will probably do a podcast about these metrics in a future podcast. And that's because if you're basing your progress on only the scale, it's really easy to get discouraged and give up or to believe that what you're doing isn't working. And I get this. I used to weigh myself multiple times a day. And what the scale said affected what I ate, what I wore, how I felt about myself, the choices that I made. But it is really important to know that what the scale measures is total body weight. 
And what affects that total body weight is actually a laundry list of things that do not include only body fat. I'm not going to go too deep on this here, but I'll let you know this. It is 100% normal, expected, and healthy for the scale to fluctuate day to day. If you would like me to do an entire podcast on scale weight and why it may be helpful for you to start looking at it with a different perspective, can you send me a message and let me know that you want a podcast on that? Um, I would be really happy to do like a, a dive into um, scale weight and how to use a scale efficiently and what is actually included in the number you see on the scale. Um, and yeah, so shoot me a message. Let me know if that is something that you want to learn more about. And I'm happy to do a podcast on that. Uh, the last big mistake, and this is this is one that I think you kind of understood if you listened to the last uh, Bite Size Nutrition podcast. And that mistake is believing that fat loss is like the thing that's going to solve your problems. And it puts so much pressure on, on something that realistically we don't have a ton of control over. We like to think we have full control over it, but we really just have at best influence. And that's because, yeah, the way that we eat exercise and the, the lifestyle factors that we have can really affect our body weight and, our, and the amount of body fat that we have. But it's also important to understand that things like hormonal fluctuations, like you can't actually control those. And so you may see a higher weight on the scale, even if your body weight or your body fat hasn't gone up. And so thinking that like, when I see that body, my, when I see my body weight go down or when I see my body fat go down, it's like, my life is going to change all that much. It's not really the case. And it also sets you up for, for having your happiness be contingent on something that isn't fully within your control. And it may happen because maybe you've set expectations about what life will be like, how people will treat you and what you will personally think about yourself when you're a few pounds lighter. And so maybe you're not buying clothes that fit the body you have now, or maybe you're not putting yourself out there in dating situations. Maybe you're acting a little bit differently in social situations because you're waiting for those last few pounds to come off. And honestly, if you don't like your body now, I promise you that even when it's smaller, you're still going to find things that you hate about it. And for most of you listening, yes, there are exceptions here, but for most of you listening, your body fat percentage is not going to change that much about your life. And I am not speaking to those of you that have a really significant amount of body fat to lose. That may actually change things about your life. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you that that's not true. It, it definitely can be true. But most of you, those of you who want to lose those last five, 10, even 15 pounds and are agonizing over making that happen, those last few pounds are not going to have a huge impact on how you see yourself or how your life plays out. And so just to recap, before we move into these habits are the biggest mistakes I make are, or I, the biggest mistake, I've made these mistakes, the biggest mistakes I see women making are labeling things as good or bad or assigning moral value to food, setting unrealistic expectations or trying to go too quickly, basing progress only on the scale and believing that once fat loss is achieved, it's going to be like the thing that changes your life. And literally every single one of these mistakes are mistakes that I have made myself. And they are mistakes that the women that I work with have made over and over and over again. And I want to tell you that these mistakes, they're not your fault. There's a lot of reasons why you believe these things to be true and why you are doing these things. And while it's not your fault, 
And you are doing the best you can with the tools that you have right now, but the way to do better is actually by learning, by educating yourself, by doing things differently. If what you are doing for you, for yourself right now, isn't working amazing because you now have the opportunity to unlearn and relearn. And that's what we're going to do in the second half of this podcast. So the actionable tips part of this podcast is a juicy one today. I'm going to share with you the five core habits that I believe have the biggest impact on fat loss. I'm also going to share one habit that I think, especially on the mindset side, can be huge. And as I share these with you, remember that there are no rules here. These are guidelines. These are suggestions. You are a grown ass adult. I mean, I think that there's no kids listening to this podcast. I have no idea but you are a grown ass adult. Repeat that to yourself. And if you choose to stay up late one night, or if you choose to skip veggies in a couple of meals, that is up to you, my friend. And also know that you are not bad for making that choice, but it may have an impact on what results you see from your choices. So think about it like this. If you're able to make decisions that align with these habits about 80% of the time, you're probably going to see some awesome results from it without feeling like you're making huge sacrifices. However, there will be an adjustment period for you to get used to making these choices and building these habits. It's going to be really unrealistic for you to expect, so you'd expect that, hey, I'm going to listen to this podcast. I'm going to write down these five core habits, and I'm going to do these for, from now on for the rest of my life. And this is exactly these habits and time management, mindset, mindful eating skills. These are exactly the things that we are going to work on both the practical application and the mindset side in the Confident Eater group program. If you're curious about how you can join us, or if you want to know more about the program, shoot me a DM. You can just say the word confident so I know what you're talking about. And you can send that to Bite Size Nutri on Instagram. You can shoot me an email, Jillian, G-I-L-L-I-A-N at bitesize.es. But let's jump in. Let's talk about five core habits that support long-term weight loss, maintenance, and also promote your health. So just to let you know, these habits do not include every single thing that you need to do for health, but these are a really great basis to focus on that can move the needle for you. And they are habits that when you can embody these or, or prioritize these, it's going to make things a lot easier and it's going to point you in the direction that you're looking to go. So here we go. These habits are in no specific order, eating mindfully in most meals, eating protein in most meals, including vegetables and fruit in most meals, including consistent daily movement outside of your organized exercise or workouts, prioritizing sleep, and the last one that is kind of a bonus that I think is really, really important is creating alternative stress and emotional coping mechanisms that are outside of food. And so I'm going to break down these habits a little bit more for you, but I've also put together an ebook that gives you details on how to implement these habits. And so you can download the ebook if you join my email list at bitesize.ck.page backslash newsletter, or if you, you're like, I don't know what you just said. Just tap on the show notes uh, in whatever podcast player you can. It's usually has like see more and you can see a little bit, a few notes from the podcast and I'll link that in there. So you can just tap on the link um, and you will be taken to sign up for my email list. You can get that ebook. Or if you're like, I really don't know what you're talking about. Just shoot me a DM on Instagram or shoot me an email and I will make sure that you get that. Um, 
Remember that these are habits that I work on implementing with my clients. And if you're interested in getting coached on this or turning them into habits in your own life, let's chat because I can help you with this. Let's jump in. So the first habit, and honestly, eating mindfully is a set of key habits that can truly help you build trust in your relationship with food and your body. And it includes eating more slowly, checking in with your hunger and fullness cues, paying attention during your meals, and avoiding distractions or multitasking while eating. And this is not an exhaustive list. Mindful eating can be so many more things than this, but these are kind of the main habits that can be really helpful. And you're probably like, oh my God, Jilly, as someone... A friend of mine told me that I have a resource for everything, which I'm very proud of, but I do actually have an email mini course that will take you through five key mindful eating habits. So if you'd like to get that, again, shoot me a DM. I will send you that. You can just DM me the word mindful eating. And mindful eating as a practice is key for helping you stop relying to, to stop relying so much on willpower or self-control and actually helping you to start cultivating that connection with your body and your mind. So if you're someone that tends to be a chronic overeater, you're a boredom eater, or you're a mindless eater, it is tough work to really embody this, but it can offer you such a sense of peace with food and help you really take ownership over how you eat. So it's so helpful for fat loss because it actually can help you just make more conscious decisions about what you eat rather than eating kind of in reaction to different triggers. And it is a key pillar of the, the work that I do with my clients and in my programs. Moving on to the second habit, when it comes to protein, I made you an entire podcast. You've got an entire podcast on how to get more protein in your diet. I believe that is podcast number 17. So I'm not going to dig too much into that one here, but a really important takeaway for protein intake for fat loss is that protein is the macronutrient that promotes muscle building and tissue recovery. And it is also the most satiating of the macronutrients, meaning that including protein in most of your meals is going to help you naturally just feel more full and thus less likely to overeat or want to be snacking all the time. Moving on to habit number three, vegetables and fruit. There's a quack doctor out there that keeps telling people to not eat fruit and like fear mongers, people with fruit. I'm going to tell you fruit is not the problem. Like fruit is not the problem when it comes to our overall eating habits. So you can just ignore if you've heard any fear mongery things about fruit, or if you have any questions about fruit, shoot me a message. And there's a really simple and powerful why behind including more vegetables and fruit in your nutrition. Both of them add volume and nutrients to your diet without adding a ton of calories. And this can mean that when you start including vegetables and more fruit in your diet, you're going to feel like you're eating more food. You're going to be like, wow, like there's so much food on my plate, but overall you're probably going to be ingesting less calories. And this is how you can think about it. So for example, if you're eating a, let's say a sandwich every day for lunch, that's not a really big volume of food, but theoretically you could just say, well, I'm going to have, instead of, you know, two pieces of bread, I'm going to have one piece of toast alongside a big salad. And so volume wise, you're going to have a lot more food on your plate, but it may be really close to the same amount of calories. And even if it is slightly more calories in that meal, it's probably going to fill you up more and fill you up for longer. So you're going to be less likely to snack between meals. You're also going to be more hydrated as vegetables and fruit are really high in water content. And you're going to end up eating a lot more fiber, which is awesome for your digestive system. I do want to make a caveat here. There are some women, not all, some, not super common in the women that I work with, 
but uh, some women that eat too many veggies and too much fiber. Personally, I was one of these individuals myself and just like not enough of a good thing isn't super helpful. Too much of a good thing can also be incredibly unhelpful. And so eating too many fruits and veggies can lead to bloating. It can lead to really farty, like farty, farty farts, farty fart farts. Yep. I just said fart like seven times on the podcast. Um, it can lead to digestive upset. Um, and this is why veggie and fruit intake recommendations are going to vary slightly from person to person. Um, but I would say a great guideline is to not go over like 800 grams maximum of fruits and vegetables per day. When you think of 800 grams, that's like a, a decent size apple is like 150 to 200 grams. That can give you kind of an idea. Moving on to habit number four, let's talk about why daily movement is such a powerful habit. And so did you know that the majority of calories that we burn on a daily basis actually comes from non-exercise activity thermogenesis, also known as NEAT? This means that most of the energy that your body uses daily doesn't actually come from your workouts. It comes from everything else you do in a day. But the thing is, is so many of us are now working from home. Maybe you're moving way less than you did pre-pandemic, or maybe you just don't have the habit of getting in a lot of daily movement. And this is why one of my personal favorite things to do for both physical and mental well-being is to take a walk. And I'm not talking about like that frantic pacing so that you can hit a step count on your Fitbit. That can make you like crazy. And that's actually why I stopped using my Fitbit. You might have actually heard of the magical 10,000 steps a day as the number for health. And I'm going to tell you this is 10,000 steps a day for some people may be an awesome and totally achievable and really helpful goal. For me, for example, I walk my dog three times a day. So my steps usually fall around that number. I will occasionally like make an effort to do like a 10 minute longer walk. If I notice I'm lower on steps for the day, which is great. It's a, it's a little bit of effort for me, but it's not like completely outside of my wheelhouse. But if you're currently doing like 2000 steps a day, or you're pretty sedentary throughout the day, trying to jump to that number of 10,000 might feel really discouraging. You might be like, well, why would I even try? It's that's just not doable for me. And that's totally fine. Recent research actually shows that an average of around 8,000 steps a day is a really great number for overall health. And if you're currently under that number on a regular basis, you can just make some little shifts to what you do throughout the day and maybe add in a daily walk, maybe add in a, you know, a couple of little walks throughout the day. And that could really push you in the right direction when it comes to your fat loss. And it can really also help with like disconnecting from things, especially if you are in the habit of like listening to music or not listening to music, or I personally, I'm a huge podcast person. So maybe you're listening to this on a walk right now. So Maybe you want to think about having a walk and talk date with a friend instead of going and sitting down. Maybe you take the bus or the metro and you get off a stop early. And if you're up for it, I'm a huge fan of the morning walk before you get your day started, if that's a possibility for you. It's personally one of my favorite moments of the day. It's really nice to get that bright morning light in your eyes, get yourself moving for the day. And that might not be doable for you. And that's totally cool. And honestly, even just adding a few minutes of movement here and there in an otherwise more sedentary day can start moving the needle in the right direction for you. And the benefits span so much farther for fat loss. Long-term health benefits of daily movement are incredible. 
And just to give you an idea of current health recommendations for weekly exercise in the United States are 150 minutes of cardiovascular exercise and two full body strength sessions. This is a great guideline to maybe work towards if that's kind of like where you want to head in that direction. Maybe you're already getting that in naturally. And so you might want to break this down. It comes up to about like 30 minutes of walking, biking, running, dancing, swimming, et cetera, et cetera about five days a week and then two days of strength training. And so maybe you see that like on the weekends, you're super active, but during the week, you're not moving at all. So maybe try to see how you can like balance that out throughout the week. And you'll definitely see positive changes from that. So moving on to the last big habit of the core habits for healthier fat loss is sleep. I fully recognize 100% that for some people getting seven to eight hours of sleep a night is like, wow. Yeah. Wish I could do that. You're crazy. And maybe that's because you have kids or maybe you have a really demanding schedule. And here's the thing is that even if you can't get in the magical number, just similarly to like what I mentioned with the daily movement habit, let's aim for improvement. It's also, so even just getting a little bit more or a slightly better sleep is going to improve whatever results you're looking to achieve. I'm going to plug the be well cartel podcast here, which is my other podcast. Cause we actually did two whole podcast episodes on sleep, on sleep hygiene, on sleep, even when you have kids or shift work or whatever that is. So I'm going to link those in the show notes and I highly recommend listening to those two podcasts and lack of sleep or not enough sleep or low quality sleep can lead to increased hunger decreased decision-making abilities, mood swings, higher cravings, and it can also impact your immune system, especially if it's something that tends to be kind of chronic. And you might be like, I'm fine on six hours of sleep. Imagine how fine you could be on seven. So when it comes to prioritizing sleep, I would, I would really ask you to just start at like, what are you doing before you're going to bed? And that can be a really simple way to, to begin. And so, for example, if you're watching like a thriller on Netflix until two seconds before lights out and then wondering why you're tossing and turning, consider why that might be. Even if you're exhausted at the end of the day, you might be waking up in the middle of the night. Same goes for scrolling on your phone before bed or doing high stress activities like answering work emails. Think of that pre-bedtime as your time to wind down. Think of it like landing the plane. If your plane is flying high in the sky through the day, and that's you being awake, you want to land that plane as you sort of wind down for the end of the night. And you're also going to find some specific tips in the ebook that I mentioned that you can, um, that you'll receive if you're on my email list. So make sure to sign up for that email list that will have some specific sleep improvement tips. And so if you're someone that is currently stressing over, you know, what supplements should I take or am I doing the right type of workouts? I would ask you to pause and kind of check in and ask yourself, are you nailing the five habits that I mentioned above? If not, this is where I recommend you begin. Notice that these habits have nothing to do with restrictions or rules. They offer guidelines and suggestions. I also want to make a special asterisk for water intake. This is not one of the core habits, but water intake is really important. And what's really cool is that if you're upping your fruit and veggie intake, you're also going to be upping your hydration, which is awesome. But getting in enough water, definitely an incredible, incredible habit to work on. Highly recommend co-sign on that. So before we sign off, I want to mention the bonus habit, which is managing your emotions and stress without depending on food. And so here's the thing. There is absolutely nothing wrong with eating when you are sad or stressed. If you're curious about why I say that, or you want a little bit more detail, 
head back to episode eight, that the title of episode eight is is emotional eating always a bad thing. So I dig into that a little bit more so that you can understand it better and also see how it kind of affects your own life. But to sum it up, here's why this habit is important. There are two scenarios. Maybe, well, there's more than two, but I'm going to give you two scenarios. Maybe you feel sad, lonely, stressed, frustrated, et cetera, et cetera. And you head straight for the snacks because you notice that something feels uncomfortable. You have an uncomfortable emotion. You don't want to feel this way. You might not be fully aware of what the emotion or what the trigger is. You just know you want to not feel the way that you're feeling. And this is a type of emotional eating that might not be super helpful for you because once you finish eating, the emotion hasn't been dealt with. There's still a discomfort or an unease there. You've just sort of numbed it or paused it while you ate. And then there's another scenario. As I said, there's multiple, but I'm going to give you two. The other scenario might be this. Maybe you feel sad, lonely, stressed, frustrated, et cetera, et cetera. And you acknowledge that emotion. Maybe you say to yourself, huh, I'm feeling X. You might explore why you feel this way. Maybe you notice like I'm feeling stressed because I'm behind at work. I feel like I don't have enough time to do everything on my list. Amazing. You've acknowledged what's going on. You then may still make the decision to have a snack or eat something or bake cookies. But the important thing is that you know that that snack isn't going to solve the problem or isn't going to actually make you feel better. You've just decided like, hey, I'd like to eat something tasty. I'm going to enjoy this. And the stress is still going to be there. And so at the end of this episode, usually at the end of my episodes, I give you some actionable tips. But honestly, this whole podcast is actionable tips, guys. You might be wondering why I'm sharing all of this info and why I'm also giving away an ebook to work on these core habits for free, even if this is like the basis of a lot of the work that I do with clients. And that's because the value of coaching is not in the information I can give you. You can literally find all of this information and more for 100% free on the internet in Google. You found it for free here on this podcast. But the value of coaching, the value of working with a coach is the accountability, the practical, practical, I'm going to start that sentence over because that sentence was terrible. The value of coaching is in the accountability, the practical application and the guidance that a coach can offer you. The value of coaching is that you can know exactly what to do, but coaching actually helps you do it and helps you do it in the future as well. So if you're enjoying the podcast and you have no interest in ever joining any of my programs, amazing. I am super honored that you are spending your time here listening. And if you want to just say, hey, I appreciate you for doing this podcast, A way that you can pay me back is by simply sharing this with someone in your life. Being able to share this knowledge with someone else is an awesome gift. It's a gift to me and it's a gift to that person. But if you are struggling with the practical application part, or if you wish that you had some accountability or you wish that you had some guidance, you would like someone to act as kind of your Google maps on the path to your goals. That's what I am here for. So I will soon be opening up spots to the Confident Eater group program, and that program is going to take you through a guided curriculum alongside an amazing community and a coach to guide you through the process of becoming confident and consistent in your nutrition and mindset around food and your body. So if you're curious or if you're like, yeah, no, I need this. Amazing. You can register your interest by going to bitesize.ck.page backslash confident eater. Or you can DM me the word confident on Instagram at bite size nutri 
to learn a little bit more and just a kind of breakdown of some of the things that you're going to learn in the program. So you're going to get really clear on, on having some awareness on what am I actually doing now and how is this affecting me? You're going to get a clear idea of like, what are my values and goals and how do I take specific action towards those goals in a way that aligns with who I want to be? You're also going to get nutrition education. You're going to get education on how to implement mindful eating habits and creating your own practice of mindful eating. You're going to get some, some training on planning and time management and how to put that in a way that works for you. And you're also going to work on self-compassion and resilience because that is one of the most important aspects of someone that has long-term success in reaching their goals and staying there. So with that, this has been this has been a long one and I'm going to be quiet. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. And if you liked this, please leave me a rating and or a review depending on where you're listening to your podcasts. And I hope you just have a lovely week.